0: You are listening to the Choose Your Struggle podcast, a member of the Shameless Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to the Choose Your Struggle podcast. I'm your host, Jay Schiffman. On this show, I interview people with lived and learned experiences on the subjects of mental health, substance misuse and recovery, and drug use and policy. But occasionally, we talk about other topics as well. On today's season finale, I have Dr. Nazinga Harrison, the host of In Recovery. But first, Kid Mental, let's go.
1: Things ain't always gonna go
0: our way But you can always win when you Choose your struggle And some battles are for yesterday But today is for a new beginning. Choose your struggle And don't worry about
1: what they say But you can always win when you Choose your struggle And you can bounce back Come on in, listen in to Choose
0: your struggle Choose your struggle Choose your struggle hello and welcome to the choose your struggle podcast for the last time this season <laughs> thank you all for tuning in i'm your host jay Schiffman. it's wonderful to be with you for the last time not in forever <laughs> for the last time for a couple months uh before we get into the incredible guest for today's season finale episode uh, a couple things real quick number one uh the end of season giveaway is still going we've you've got uh 2 to 3 more weeks on that as a reminder for for those of you who have not done so yet anybody who leaves a review will be entered to win you can do that a couple of ways if you're listening on iTunes just right there click click uh click some stars uh and and then write a review if you are listening on other platforms that do not have a review function right there there's a link in both the show notes uh, where it says clearly review this. And if you're if you're finding me on social media, go to my um, Instagram specifically, which is just, you know, Jay Schiffin or search for Choose Your Struggle. And the link in my bio is my campsite. You'll want to click on that uh, and, and then click on the one that says the Choose Your Struggle podcast, the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Slurred there for a second and uh, write a review. It's right there. Uh, if you use a name that is not the name that you are known by, um, message me. Say, hey, that's me. Uh, Anyone who does that between now and Thanksgiving or anyone who has already left a review will be entered to win. And there's three prize packs. There is a Roadrunner and Bookshop prize pack, the partners of this show. Uh, bookshop, it's a gift card. Roadrunner, uh, there's a muscle gel. You're actually going to get an option. Uh, when I was telling Kyle uh, Blank's uh, past guest and the amazing guy I work with at Roadrunner all about this, he's like, oh, dude. He's like, we'll give you more stuff. Please give it to your to your listeners. Um, they are so thankful for everything that Choose Your Struggle, all you have done. Uh, not me. I mean, for, for all of you. So definitely, uh, that's that's one of the the good ones. Another prize pack is choose your struggle stuff. That's going to be tank tops. It's going to be stickers. It's all that kind of stuff. So there's that. And then uh, there is this muscle massager from the company whose name I can't I can't pronounce. So those are the the options. Um, each person will be associated. You know, I'll pull three times, one for each one, and I'll reach out to you. So it, please leave a review. Reach out to me. Also in the show notes, also on social media, you'll in the same link that you find that you can find the link to vote for the Harm Reduction Coalition's yearly awards. Um, if you didn't hear last week, uh, you know Choose Your Struggle is just so incredibly honored to be a finalist for the Changing the Narrative Award. Uh, please vote for us; it really means a lot. Just to, just to be an, a, a finalist really really does. Um, and also please, please, even more important, I think, because they actually have a better shot at winning, go vote for our, our really good friend Savage Sisters in the Resiliency Award and my good friend Peter Kriken, who is a former guest of the show, uh, for most of them. <laughs> Anyone where you don't vote for me or Savage, vote for Peter. That, that That's the way to put that. Also, before we get into uh, this episode, you like I said, this is the season finale. You won't be hearing from me for a while. However, this stream will be active from time to time. Uh, the show will start up again in sometime early in 2022. Um, so really, you're only getting like two or three months off. But the stream will be active from time to time. I'll be putting out um, whether it's an interview that I did that I thought was particularly good, or um, you know, there are some other podcasts I'm working with, and I'll drop their streams, um, their their episodes on this stream. So. So stay subscribed, and if you're if you're finding this because of today's guest, consider hitting that you know follow or subscribe or whatever button it says on your player, because uh, it would mean a lot to me. And uh, we've got some good stuff coming. Now today's guest, uh, you may know her as the just incredible host, incredible host of the podcast In Recovery with Doctor. Nzinga Harrison. Uh, her name is Dr. Nazanga Harrison. <laughs> that's how that works. Uh, she, that's how I found her. However, as she talks about it in this show, we only talk about the, the podcast for like five minutes because she has such an incredible wealth of experience in this world uh, working with Eleanor Health being one of the founders i should say of eleanor health being one of the 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 founders of um an incredible organization dedicated, uh, physicians, uh, dedicated to physicians dedicated to criminal justice she's just she's one of those people that you know you're like you're doing so much good it's so appreciated uh how <laughs> like when do you have time for you you know what i mean uh, and i say that as someone who who you know people who love me have been like hey you know you're allowed to take some time off right so i say that with a little bit of self acceptance and realization there uh that nazinga dr harrison is 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 one of those people as well and um we i give her props for this on on the show but i want to i want to repeat it here because i think it's that important she is one of the people on her show in recovery who is willing to challenge some of the existing narratives um, and, and lead from a place of empathy. And again, to her incredible credit uh, because she's built up such an, an amazing community with that show when people write in or, 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 you know, she allows people to, to respond um, with, with recording something for her show as I do too, you know, check the, the show notes for that. Uh, but when they write in and say, hey, this made me feel a certain way, or I think that you didn't say this the way I would have loved it, she herself has learned. And if you listen to the show, as I have from day one, it's very obvious that that this is something that she is committed to always be, be in a learning frame of mind about. And I, and I just respect her so much for that. I love her and her work so much for that. Big shout out to her team at Lemonada Media. Um, my team, Ryan and I, and I mean, everybody worked with very closely with them to make this possible. Uh, so thank you to the entire team at Lemonada for working so hard to to, to make this uh, conversation between Dr. Harrison and I a reality. Uh, that's gonna do it. I wanna I wanna lead straight into the interview now. Uh, stick around till the end, you know, for this last uh, season end of the season sign off. And uh, without further ado, thank you so much, um, Dr. Nazinga Harrison. Enjoy. A quick shout out to my Patreon supporters. I am so grateful for your support and your love. Y'all have been with me since almost the beginning, and so much of this podcast could not be done without you. Almost to a person, they've all told me that they didn't join for the perks, Although there are some pretty fantastic perks, but they've all joined just to support the show, and it really means so much to me. Now, if you join, you are going to get some stuff in return. You'll get sneak peeks, extra content, and the chance to interact with me on a second level. It's really a great way to show support if you love this show. So Go ahead and check it out today. Go to patreon.com/slash choose your struggle. The lowest tier is only $3.40 a month. And there's multiple tiers after that. There's something for everybody. So truly, I truly mean this. Thank you to all of my Patreon supporters. And if you've been waiting to sign up, well, now's a great time. So head on over to Patreon and show a little bit of love. Choose your struggle. Find me on social media. Check the link in the show notes or search for me, Jay Schiffman, on YouTube and LinkedIn. And choose your struggle on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter.
1: Yeah, it's so interesting. I always start this story like kind of funny, like it was a cold fall day in Indianapolis, <laughs> Indiana in 1976. Um, but I was born and raised in Indianapolis, Indiana in the early 80s. Um, and I decided really young to be a doctor a physician and I didn't have doctors in my family. So kind of the only concept I had of that was pediatrics. Um, but I said, I'm going to be a doctor and I'm going to be a teacher. And my parents were like, all right, rock on. Like, do you. And my dad was commander of the local black Panther militia in Indianapolis, Indiana. And my mom was a public school teacher, also an activist. And so we were like bred and raised, like you raised your voice advocacy and activism is an absolute part of life. You always, you know, advocate on behalf of those that can't advocate for themselves, fight against marginalization, oppression, et cetera. And so over the years I changed from wanting to be a pediatrician, to being a surgeon and went to medical school with the concept that I would be a pediatric surgeon. Well, in medical school, you have to rotate through all of the major, um, functions of the body basically in psychiatry is one of the core rotations and I did not know that psychiatry was medicine so the only concept of psychiatry I had is Freud lay on my couch tell me about your mother I didn't think it was real interestingly right like I've since dedicated my entire life to it but when I did my psychiatry rotation in medical school I had this phenomenal um, teaching physician Dr. David Roan who taught me about the biology of thoughts and feelings and decisions and behaviors and the intersection between that biology and life experiences past and present and how that turns into the medical illnesses that we see that manifest themselves with psychiatric symptoms. And it was just formative and mind blowing. And I was like, Whoa, I think I might be a psychiatrist. And then, um, one young girl on this unit who was catatonic, with depression. She was getting electroconvulsive therapy. And as a medical student, my job was to talk to her every day, even though she could not respond. She couldn't blink. She couldn't talk back. She couldn't raise her arm if I asked her to raise her arm. And after a few ECT sessions, she woke up and she said, I heard all of the nice things you were saying to me. And in that moment, I was like, I'm going to be a psychiatrist. Like this is miraculous and remarkable. And then as I started doing my other rotations, I realized just how terrible the healthcare system treated people with psychiatric illness. And then if that psychiatric illness was a substance use disorder, like literally didn't care if you lived or died and that tapped my activist bone. So it was like science bone, miracle bone, relationship bone, activist bone. This is meant to be uh, then once I became a psychiatrist, you know, I have so much severe substance use disorder in my family and loved ones. Then now I'm like, it was inevitable that I would become an addiction psychiatrist. So that's the journey.
0: Well, that's a beautiful story, especially about treating the patient. And I think, well, one thing we need to shout out real quick is that you did go to medical school here in my, my town of Philadelphia. Hey, shout you know, out for Philly.
1: Pennsylvania.
0: Yes, that's right. Uh which I think is really cool. Before we talk about your work, I do want to go back to your childhood real quick and, and and this is sort of hitting home for me because uh you know a person who came up through the education system as we all did, I got almost zero education mm-hmm. around black leaders uh, or contemporary black leaders, right? Of course we all get Frederick Douglass and, and and I'm not I don't want to minimize all that, but the the as an adult one of the missions I've been on is sort of trying to make up for that and the person that I think has really meant the most to me on that mission or on that education spectrum as an adult is Angela Davis, who I just mm-hmm. think is one of those people that is such a brilliant leader, yeah. contemporary, and we are we hear nothing about her not in our in education the book. system, not right. in the books at all. I, she doesn't exist in our education, That's and right. she is such an incredible person. Am I right to assume that that wasn't the case with you growing up with your dad being involved in the movement? Uh, And and why do you think that still is, even though uh, we're we're starting to close that gap? I mean, baby, baby, baby steps. But people who were part of the Black Panther movement are still completely ignored.
1: Yeah, you're absolutely right. That was not my experience because of my dad's um, involvement in the movement. We were educated outside of school as well as being educated in school. Um, specifically for the reasons you said, like for us to know who are Black leaders and to be able to learn how to raise our voices and fight against racism, oppression, marginalization. The question, I think, why do I think that is the case is because there's a particular concept of history that the United States wants us to have, you know, to like program our kids with. And I was just listening to the radio the other day um, and a state governor was saying, like, we can't paint this picture of American history as racist. And I was like, American history is racist. Like, the country was built on slavery. It doesn't have to be an accusation, but it does come with a set of responsibilities for how to operate differently. And so I think it has just been so important. There's this concept that, like, you can't conceive of America as a great nation if you... um you know, shine a light on the atrocities that made America what it is today. And I think both can be the case, right? Like tacos and wings. Why not both? (laughs) You know what I'm saying? So like, yeah, the way we get even greater is by acknowledging how we got to where we are and making the commitment to move forward differently.
0: Well, and I want to keep going on that for a second because I found this stat this morning that I think is incredibly important. Uh, a recent survey found that uh, 86% of all psychologists in the U.S. are white and only 4% are black. And, and when they got into asking that 4% why they think this is, because obviously their view on this is the, 10 times more important than than the 86% that are white, almost all of them said, because I didn't see growing up People that look like me in these positions was that part? Does that ring true to you? And at the same time, was that harder than for you to conceptualize this part because you didn't have that representation or this? This I should say, not this, this this path that you are on now.
1: Yeah, no, I think that absolutely is right. So, like I heard somebody say a long time ago about mentoring programs: if you can't see it, you can't be it. So we have to make sure we're seen, so the kids know that they can. Be it, I was going to try to rhyme with scene, and all that <laughs> that be grammatically incorrect, so I let it go. Um, that's a psychology statistic, right? That number is even lower for psychiatrists. So through the medical school, 2% of physicians mm. in this country are Black women. 2%, 6% of physicians in this country are Black. 2% are Black women. And psychiatrist is just, forget it right and psychiatry and addiction medicine like just forget it forget it and so yeah that's part of the reason, like I didn't even know psychiatry was medicine is because that concept wasn't there right I definitely did not have any black doctors growing up um but I was kind of raised with like, you can do what you want to do, right? So somebody else, a little kid would say to their parents, I'm going to be a doctor and a teacher. And their parents would be like, oh, you'll be a doctor or a teacher. But those are two different paths. My parents were like, yep, make it happen. <laughs> um, and so just because we didn't know any Black doctors didn't mean that wasn't a concept. But I'll tell you a funny story. My kids are now 14, will be 15 in December, and 16 and Because my peer group is ripe with Black women physicians. Like all of my best friends came from college and medical school. So like everybody they met in their early lives, that was a physician. And then their pediatrician was a Black woman also, was Black women. And so the very first time we went to a doctor's office and the doctor was a white man, they could not believe (laughs) that he was a doctor because they thought all doctors were black women. And so that just tells you like how formative those, those exposures and how important they are for kids growing up.
0: That's a great story. That
1: was hilarious. I yeah. told my friends, I was like, Oh my God, Nasir just told the doctor he's not the doctor. because <laughs> you
0: know I, uh, I love that. And I think the representation piece is so important, but the other piece that it, it cannot be overlooked is that while You know, if if I am a white therapist talking to a black patient, I can talk to you, of course, about depression, anxiety, all these important things, but I can't understand your experience the way that that I would need to to help you relate to me. The things that are causing those those issues, right? I mean, we know the aggressions of racism are major motivators in depression and anxiety, and yet, if I cannot even understand what you're going through, how am I supposed to help you move past or or, or deal with some of these issues?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. And I don't want people to take that to mean um, a black person can only see a black therapist. I want people to take that to mean that every single Whatever fill in the blank here that's working in healthcare, psychologist, counselor, therapist, psychiatrist, physician in a different specialty. We know that racism drives illness, period. We know that if you are not white in this country, you have experienced racism, period, right? Like that's the exception. I mean, that's the rule, not the exception. And so we have to hold ourselves to the responsibility, whether We've had that experience or not. So, like, I've dedicated my life to taking care of people with serious, persistent mental illness, schizophrenia, bipolar disorder, personality disorders, like severe and substance use disorders. I have not personally had that experience, but I have made it my responsibility and my commitment to be able to have that conversation so that I can at least stand in a a role of support. And, like, you don't have to omit any of your experience because you're not sure if I can understand it or if I want to understand it. And so we've made racism so scary to talk about in this country. Like you said, baby steps over the last two years since George Floyd was murdered on camera in front of our eyes, right? We're at least able to have the conversation now. But when I when I talk about this, I say like the healthcare system has taken on the responsibility to be trauma-informed. We assume trauma is the rule, not the exception. We train all of our healthcare workers to be trauma informed and trauma sensitive. Racism is trauma. So if we've made that commitment for trauma, we have to make that commitment for racism. And if as a black person, I went into a whatever therapist, you don't look black to my eyes. I don't know if you're black until I ask you, but you don't look black to my eyes. And so I have a set of assumptions and I look black to your eyes. So you have a set of assumptions. If you said to me, I'm going to do this depression scale so I can get an idea of what's going on. I'm going to do this anxiety scale so I can get an idea of what's going on. i will do this drug screen so I can get an idea of what's going on. And we going to do this racism impact on your health scale so we can get an idea of what's going on. I would be like, oh, snap, I could talk about racism to this person that doesn't look black to my eyes. <laughs> Opens up a whole new ability to address health mental health specifically, but all of health.
0: Well, I think that's that's such a, so perfectly put. And I think that the sort of the takeaway there is that leading with that vulnerability piece and that empathy piece and not the defensiveness, right? As right. It, if, if you had said, yeah, and you know, this guy doing this, this, uh, what we call microaggression caused me, you know, this anxiety. And I, as a therapist went, oh, you know, he probably didn't mean it. It's not a, whatever. That is a complete shutdown as a yeah. turn off to you. And you're going to go, well, I'm not going to share this with you anymore. But if I'm someone who can say, I don't know what that feels like, but I can't, I, I, I can't even imagine how much that would bother you. That's a way to open that back up again and say, please continue talking to me and telling me, even if I cannot 100% identify with what that feels like.
1: Totally. Going back to this concept of racism as trauma, and I'll tell another patient story after this. What is the biggest insult? This is why we train our health systems to be trauma-informed, to avoid re-traumatization by invalidation, right? So like if a person comes, if a child comes and says, I was molested, there is bigger impact when the people around them don't believe them. There's more negative impact that is longer lasting than the molestation itself. And so we have to know as mental health care providers, health care providers more broadly, because I don't let not physical health specialties off the hook here either, right? That invalidation is re-traumatizing and injurious. So I was just seeing. Um, we call our people we take care of at Eleanor Health where I'm co-founder and chief medical officer, community members. And so I was just doing a new psychoval on a new community member a couple of weeks ago. And I didn't even get to my discrimination questions yet, right? He looks white to me over camera. We're on video. All I said was, tell me about growing up And do you have any experiences growing up that you think are still affecting you today? I'm looking for adverse childhood experiences. He says, I was the only off-white kid in my small town neighborhood in Ohio. And I thought that was funny that he said (laughs) off-white. One, one, I was like, check yourself in Zynga because you assume this man is white. (laughs) He was like, I was the only off-white kid. He was adopted um, by white parents into this, in his words, very white town. And all of the kids called him Tar Baby the entire time he was growing up. Now, he looks white to me. I would have never in my wildest dreams guessed that he grew up under the thumb of racism being called Tar Baby. The important part of the story being I asked the broadest question. Tell me about growing up and anything still affecting you today. And it was Tar Baby from elementary school. Racism is powerful and its impact is long lasting. And if we act like we don't know that, we're doing harm to the people we're trying to serve.
0: That's a a very upsetting story. I I appreciate you sharing that. So I I read a stat the other day that that, uh, a couple months ago that I think is really powerful to me. And and they did a study on the the need of mental health care and, and how few people actually get mental health care that they deserve and by this study statistics they, they found that if everyone who needed it was going to be adequately addressed and get the help that they deserve we would need 90 percent more therapists in the field
1: please double it
0: double i mean it's it's just it eye-opening and alarming wow. why do you think i mean obviously stigma in, in, in that's its own thing but why do you think in 2020 almost 2022 we are still at this stage mm-hmm. where we have so few good uh, mental health uh, i mean the whole spectrum right from psychiatrists, totally. psychologists counselors everything
1: totally because we don't value it right literally When I went to medical school to be a surgeon and then I came home and I was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to do psychiatry instead. Everybody was so very disappointed. Like, what? We thought you went to medical school to be a doctor. What is this? Like, are you dropping out? Not only was my family disappointed, they're not now, like everybody is super proud, right? But my medical school colleagues were like, what a waste. You're so smart my, the medical school staff was like, but you would be such a competitive candidate in any one of these other specialties, right? Like we don't value it. Again, baby steps, we're going in the right direction. COVID I think has done a lot of that for us because everybody is, everybody was always struggling to be clear before COVID. COVID shone a light and made it okay for all us to be like, um, underwater struggling here, but we don't value it. And so there are not enough slots in school. There are not enough programs. When kids say they want to go to that program, they try to talk you into something else because it's not a lucrative living that you're going to spend, right? So like if we want, and that statistic is crazy. I'm going to start using it. If you can drop me the like reference after this, um, that, that we have to double it. That is crazy. That takes time. That takes money. That takes educational infrastructure, that takes cultural change on perception on the value of mental health professionals. And to this point, I don't think there's been enough motivation to allocate any of that to make it happen.
0: Well, I think that is a perfect transition into talking about your work. But before we do, if you wouldn't mind telling everybody where they can find you online, shouting out anything you want the listeners to know, all that good stuff.
1: Oh, my goodness. Okay, let me get my list together. (laughs) First of all, I'm Dr. Nzinga Harrison, co-founder and chief medical officer of Eleanor Health. You can find us at EleanorHealth.com. I'm super proud to be host of the podcast In Recovery by Limonata Media. Wherever you're listening to this podcast, you can listen to In Recovery. I've learned to say that. (laughs) Um, uh, Literally everywhere you get your podcast, we talk about all things addiction and mental health. Um, I am co-founder of physicians for criminal justice reform. You can Google us and find us there. We're a national nonprofit that advocates at the intersection of criminal legal system and health. You do not have to be a physician to join, even though we were started by physicians, that's why we, um, call it that started and led by, and then you can find me on Twitter in a Harrison MD LinkedIn and Zenga Harrison, Facebook and Zenga Harrison MD. That should be enough, don't
0: you think, Jay? I'd say that's a great list. (laughs) The Choose Your Struggle podcast has been so lucky to have numerous truly change-making authors on this show. From Adi Jaffe to Emily Dufton, we have been blessed by hearing them speak, and now it's time to grab their works. Now, you could go to Amazon if you wanted to shop online, but let's be honest, that's not the right choice. So I'm gonna invite you to head over to my partner, Bookshop. If you go to bookshop.org slash shop CYS, again, that's bookshop.org slash shop slash CYS, you're going to find all of your favorite books and you're gonna support the podcast in the process, but that's not even the best part. Bookshop has an incredible program. That allows you to select your favorite mom and pop or neighborhood bookstore and they will give them some of the proceeds from your order now living here in philly that's been a really hard choice because we have fantastic bookstores all over but i selected Harriet's, which is a truly wonderful black owned bookstore in northern philly i love it my wife loves it we go there as much as we can honestly why would you go anywhere else so again go check out bookshop at bookshop.org shop slash cys you're gonna find the book you're looking for you're gonna support your neighborhood bookstore and you're gonna support the podcast in the process so check it out today and go ahead and buy that book you've been waiting for Thanks for sharing the podcast with your friends. If you're listening on Apple, please rate and review or check out the review link in the show notes. And don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Talk about, if you wouldn't mind, the founding of Eleanor Health. Obviously, we're going to talk about the the podcast because it's one of my favorites. But before that, I really want to hear the story of Eleanor Health.
1: Yeah. So the story of Eleanor Health actually turns into the podcast. So that'll be, that'll be a natural segue. Um, so I'm co-founder and chief medical officer of Eleanor Health. We started the company in May 2019. Um, we are right now in six states with 29 clinics. Our mission at Eleanor Health is to help people affected by addiction live amazing lives. And so the reason we created the company is because as the opioid epidemic was exploding and the media was getting hold of it and raising everyone's awareness, um, these two companies, Oxion Venture Studio and Town Hall Ventures, specialize in creating companies that provide healthcare in value-based environments. And sorry, I have to drop into a little bit of education here. So how most people know about our healthcare system is fee-for-service. You go you have a service, they send you a bill. If you're lucky, part of it, insurance pays, you pay the other part of it. And quantity of service can run a business, right? As long as you're providing services, whether the people you're serving are getting better or not, your business can be financially sustainable, even lucrative. Value-based care says, rather than incentivizing quantity of care, let's incentivize quality of care. Which means the people you're taking care of have to get better in order for you to have a financially viable business. And so, um, Oxyon Venture Studio and Town Hall Ventures specialize in creating value based care companies. So, they looked out in the space and they're like, who's doing value based care and substance use disorder? Nobody. And so, Corbin Petro is our CEO. Um, super crazy, like wicked smart. Oh my gosh, she's such a superstar. Helped write parts of the Affordable Care Act, was chief operating officer of Medicaid in Massachusetts. She's our CEO and co-founder, um, chief medical officer and co-founder, our third co-founder, Shristi Merchandani came from Oxyon Venture Studios. And together we conceived of this business model, which is like, we'll identify a group of people for a payer, that can benefit from our services. Pay us an umbrella fee. We will go out and do proactive outreach and engagement to reduce the stigma people face when they're trying to find treatment, bring them into our care. If they get better, we want a bonus. If they get worse, we put our fees at risk. We'll pay money back. And so that incentivizes us to provide the type of care that help people get better rather than just quantity of care. And the type of care that helps people get better is whole person. Biologically, we can help you with your substance use disorder, medications, other psychiatric conditions, care coordination for physical health conditions. Psychologically, we have therapists, individual, group, family, couples therapy. Socially, culturally, politically, we have peers who have been there themselves and can talk to you. We have people who will help coordinate your social needs, financial, housing, job, childcare, marital stress. Politically, we do a lot of advocacy. Like if you Google Eleanor Health, you see us out there representing for our people. And so when you take that whole approach and take care of people over time, so not a five-day detox, not a 30-day rehab and good luck living, not a five-day psych hospitalization, here's an antidepressant, never see you again, like execute a long-term relationship over time like a primary care doctor, then people get better. And so that's Eleanor Health, um and the way we're hoping to change the way people affected by addiction and other mental health conditions and other physical health conditions get treated by this healthcare system and this society, honestly.
0: And which are the which are the states that you're active in? How how, you know, if someone is interested, how can they become a community member.
1: Yeah. So we are in North Carolina, New Jersey, Massachusetts, Ohio, Louisiana, and Washington. If you're interested and you think you need help, and this is really important, like you may be like, I don't have an addiction. Eleanor Health has nothing for me. In the United States, we all use substances in such a risky way, just as part of our baseline culture. We also help people prevent substance use disorder. I mean, risky use from turning into more because of life stressors and depression and anxiety and all of that. So just go to EleanorHealth.com. See if we're in your state. See if we take your insurance. I hate to say that, but you know, United States of America. Hopefully your insurance is one of our partners that gets you the whole of Light, beautiful wraparound. But you don't have to figure that out. Just call us and our access team will will help you know what the options are.
0: And are you expanding? Is there plans for more states or, or what yeah. is that looking like?
1: Yes, we are definitely expanding. So too, too hot off of the press to say it on this podcast, but we definitely have states number seven and eight in our sites. Um, and the plan is to go deeper in those states we're currently in. So like North Carolina has 11 clinics, Jersey, five, Massachusetts, blah, blah, blah. So we'll go deeper in those states. We'll expand to at least probably two more states um, next year. But importantly, if you're in that state, we serve in person and virtually. So if you're in the state, we can get to you, whether that's through technology or face-to-face.
0: Why do you think your model is so all right this is not going to sound very i guess uh trying to get you to 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 rave about yourself for a minute which is fine why do you think that that's so rare in in a in an industry that all too often has a bunch well i mean this this isn't controversial to say Has a lot of bad actors there are a lot of bad actors in recovery you know in industry as a whole is it just the money piece is it because you know it, it, our our elected leaders aren't paying attention i mean what what are we what can we be working on here uh, in the grassroots uh, arena to try to start closing some of these these loopholes and gaps
1: yeah thank you for this question i think there are several factors so one is a complete and utter pervasive lack of understanding of mental health and substance use disorders as chronic medical conditions right like still overwhelmingly pervasively in this country, people think you develop addiction because you're weak or you don't have morals or you just can't make good decisions. If people understood that substance use disorders, other addictions, other mental health conditions or chronic medical conditions that relapse and remit just like diabetes, just like high blood pressure, just like asthma, like I can show you the medical evidence behind it, then we would get held to the standard as a medical specialty that those others get held to right so there would never be a cash only chain of diabetes treatment programs that doesn't offer medication like people wouldn't accept that because the concept is like oh diet exercise nutrition stress reduction medication over time because it's a lifelong illness right so if people understood that about substance use disorders we would get held to the same standard we're trying to push that at eleanor health we collect so much data and we're like trying to push our payers to require this data and this you you don't even have to report your outcomes to anybody in substance use disorder care. So that's one understanding it as a chronic medical condition. Two, healthcare is still just learning this for all conditions, but we have this concept that some conditions are like real biological and others are real psychosocial and the concept of addiction is like go to therapy and get a support system, but totally underappreciating the impact of physical health conditions, life, other mental health conditions. And so to your point, we need to double the number of therapists, and I'm sure that persists persists through every type of professional and behavioral health. It is extremely difficult for a company to put together an addiction expert, and a psychiatrist, and a therapist, and a nurse, and a peer, and have a primary care doctor and have a higher level of care. Like this system makes that extremely difficult to do. um, And we've been able to invest in doing that. Um, And then the last, yes, legally, politically, right? Like before the opioid crisis, it was almost impossible to get voices of recovery in legislative spaces. This is turning around and we just got an office of recovery created by this administration literally this week, which is phenomenal. Um, When you see people who are in recovery and you put their voices at the table, change happens. And so I think now that we're getting more recovery voices at all the tables, a concept of addiction as medical illness is becoming more mainstream. Now we just have to be able to allocate the resources and set a standard.
0: Well, as a guy in recovery who, who advocates strongly for everybody having a seat at the table and not uh, as, as something, you know, this only people with the PhDs need to be this. I, I appreciate it, your, your support in that matter.
1: Right. 100%. And also, not, so we say in recovery, and that means a lot of different things to a lot of people, to some people, that means completely abstinent. And so I want to be sure that like, we also need the voices of people who are still using at the table. Just because you're still using, this is why I became addiction psychiatrist, right? Because I was like, oh, if you're still using the healthcare system, doesn't care if you die. We care if you die. And if we're making decisions for you, your voice needs to be at the table so that we're making decisions from you.
0: So let's talk about the podcast then, because you said that grew out of the work, mm-hmm. uh, and, and that's how I originally heard about you. Was was um, you know I've been listening since day one. It, oh. it, it you got a lot of publicity when you started this off, and it's you know now on all the t- ten recovery podcasts you have to listen and all that kind of stuff. So so where in there did you go? All right, I'm doing all this incredible work. You know what's next? A podcast. Tell yeah. me about that.
1: I wish I could take credit for it. So um, one of our board members is Andy Slavitt at Eleanor Health, and he has a really close relationship with Lemonada Media. He does a podcast for them, also in the bubble with Andy Slavitt about uh, COVID. And so when Jess and Steph over at Limonata were doing the last day podcast, which is a phenomenon. They were almost finished with the series and they said, man, we really need an addiction expert to come on to like fill in some of the gaps. Andy, do you know anyone? And Andy was like, oh, our co-founder and chief medical officer at Eleanor Health would be great. And he connected us. And I went on um, an episode of Last Day and talked to Jess and Steph and it was like immediately love at first ears because we were were in two different studios. Um, They ended up coming out to Eleanor Health and doing like a feature on Eleanor Health. And then as they were ending the last day series, they didn't want to leave the audience unattached. And so they came up with this concept of a follow on podcast in recovery and asked me if I would host it. And I was like, yeah. And they've taught me everything I know. And here we are two seasons in.
0: Well, what I love the most about your show, and this is something I've done on a couple of episodes of mine, is you have, in my opinion, of the Recovery Podcast, the best uh, community engagement on your show. Mm -hmm. You answer a lot of amazing questions. You get people who, you know, I mean, it's almost Dan Savage level of people who call in and like look forward to hearing that, you know, you answer their questions. Uh, How is that How have you built that community in terms of getting people so engaged? Because that's as someone who does this, that is difficult. That takes a lot of work.
1: Yeah, it's a lot of work. Um, First, super kudos to Lemonada Media. Like (laughs) their operation is a machine. It's incredible. (laughs) They know what they're doing. But I think second is like compassion is infectious. And sadly, people who are struggling with addiction or their loved ones of people who are struggling with addiction. So many times when one, if you can even find where to get help. So that is like hard Two, you find where you think you're getting help and you're not met with compassion. You're met with judgment or you're met with somebody saying your person has to hit rock bottom, just cut them off. Or you're met with, you're not ready for treatment. Or you're met with somebody who's going to fleece you for $30,000 for 30 days of treatment. Right. I think it was just like hearing, knowing there was a place they could come for compassion and genuine care and respect for what they were experiencing. Then people just tell, people just tell everybody, like one woman um, wrote in and said, like, you've been my compassion coach for the last year for my son who's struggling. And I'm like, this is what it is all about. This is what it's all about.
0: How sad though, uh, that that just showing compassion and, and empathy means that you rise to the top, right? That oh that's uh,
1: right. Like yeah. what a commentary.
0: Yep. Well, it, but it is true um, that that when I listen, you know, I I, I appreciate uh, as I keep saying on this that that you know you are 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 coming at this from from an empathetic place and in a, in a place of of judgment free, right? And and I will say that there have been a couple of times where you have very very nicely, but you've when people have called in with certain things that have been a little judgmental, you've responded in ways that are. are reassuring to that person i'm sure but also saying and by the way in kind of laying down the law a little bit again in a very nice way but but that is something that you don't shy away from yeah. and that's one thing i appreciate about your show
1: thank you thank you yeah i think we have to do it and i think part of that goes back to what we were talking about earlier which is creating the relationship to be able to do that right like i think relationships are the foundation of health and so if you're unintentionally creating the potential for harm, I hope we have the relationship where I can say to you, I don't think this is your intention, but this is the harm that I see as possible from what you're doing or saying. And I've also tried to, you know, like people have sent me feedback, which I love where they're like, you said this, and this is how it landed on me. And I try to always bring that back in the next episode. Like, you know what, y'all keep me straight. (laughs) Keep me together. I'm also constantly trying here, you know.
0: Well, and that language piece is so important. And we all are continuously learning how to be uh as you said uh more more are, are creating less harm through what we say but even if we don't mean to, to provide that now i don't want to finish without uh going back to something you talked about earlier that i did not know uh and that that is the physicians for criminal justice reform talk a little bit about founding that and, and what um that organization kind of looks like and how people can support so i think that's Ooh. really important
1: Thank you. So um, I'm co-founder of Physicians for Criminal Justice Reform. We started the organization in 2015. This is after um, Michael Brown was killed down in Ferguson, Missouri. And then we had that whole spate where it felt like every single week we were watching another unarmed black person get killed on camera, including Tamir Rice, 12 years old. And it was just devastating. And I was posting a lot about it on my personal Facebook page. And a now neurosurgeon, Dr. Edja Endone, that went to Penn Medical School. So he was coming in as I was going out and we met each other. I like recruited him to to come to Penn and we stayed connected um, because I came down to Emory for psych residency. He came down to Emory for a neurosurgery residency and he Facebook messaged me and said, I just feel like I want to raise my voice in a more systematic way. And he's like, it sounds like a crazy idea because I don't know if it fits, but something like physicians for criminal justice reform. And I was like, What? (laughs) And he was like, Is this idea crazy? And I was like, um, as a psychiatrist, I can officially say this idea is not crazy. This idea is amazing. And so he and I set about and we literally like just put together an advisory. Council of Physicians across the country, different um, locations, like different geographies, different specialties, and hammered out the initial construct for this organization. Um, And five years later, we are in 50 states represented by over 90 specialties and professions. So like I said, you don't have to be a physician to join. We have attorneys, students, social workers, media specialists, At PR people, stay-at-home moms, stay-at-home dads, teenagers, like we literally have everybody in the organization, Um, and we have four task forces. So the first task force is the mental health task force charged with decriminalization of addictive and other mental health disorders. The second is the youth justice task force tasked with diverting at-risk youth from criminal justice settings to health settings. The third is the correctional healthcare task force whose responsibility is to advocate for adequate provision of mental and physical health care while incarcerated, but also during periods of re-entry. And then the last task force is violent, violence prevention task force advocating for reduction of violent encounters between general public and law enforcement and the negative consequences for both of those groups that result from those negative um, encounters. And so, pfcjrreform.org. we need you literally membership is a hundred dollars a year it is so cheap we run lean and mean but our impact we've impacted legislation we have we do education we let physicians know that this is part of our responsibility even though you didn't learn about it in med school so jay we would love to have you and all of your listeners that concludes- Amazing. Yes, I
0: will definitely go check that out as soon as we're done here. That's very cool. I, and I think that that rolls perfectly into one more time, if you wouldn't mind shouting out where everybody can find you online and support your work and all the good stuff.
1: Definitely. So you can find me on Twitter, Harrison, Um, You can Google Nzinga Harrison. You'll find me on LinkedIn and Facebook as well. Please find us at EleanorHealth.com. Please find the podcast and recovery wherever you listen to podcasts. And this time I'll add on physicians for criminal justice reform. You can Google us.
0: Well, we always finish with the same two questions. Uh, the first of which is not just during uh, COVID, but obviously over the last going on two years. Uh, what what self-care works for you? What, what do you turn to?
1: Uh, Definitely my family. So my husband and two kids, my mom lives nearby, my mother-in-law lives nearby, my sister and her two kids live nearby. So when I feel like I'm about to um, explode or implode, then a weekend getaway with my family to, we don't even have to do anything, but just like be in the same place that's not our regular house hanging out, recharges me every time.
0: Good answer. Uh, that's, that's very good answer. All right. Final question is we've now spent the last 45 minutes hearing why you're amazing, why we should be following all your work, but who are some (laughs) people that you follow? Shout out anything you want, like what you're listening to reading, watching anything like that.
1: Oh my gosh, this is incredible. Okay. So I will definitely say, and they didn't pay me to say this every podcast by Lemonada Media, (laughs) like Lemonada (laughs) Media's charge in life is to put those social issues that we need to be paying attention to into podcasts. You cannot go wrong, no matter what you're listening to, Please follow them there. Definitely have to say, physicians for criminal justice reform. Um, a woman I absolutely love and adore. You can find her on Twitter as dr. Sarah wakeman, w a k e m a n. Like if you love some no holes barred, no punches pull, recovery advocacy, her Twitter feed is the one to follow. Definitely Andy Slavitt's um, Twitter feed. And then I'll shout out, um, and so funny, she's going to be surprised if I did this, but Dr. Sarah Benson um, is a Black woman psychiatrist down here in Atlanta who is forensic adult child and adolescent psychiatrist who is doing some wildly important things in advocacy for um, mental health for kids and adults uh, and those involved in the justice system. Um, in terms of what I'm reading, is like probably all boring business books that people don't necessarily
0: <laughs>
1: care too much about. And then I think that's probably good.
0: Well, those are great answers. I'll have to go check those all out. Thank you so much for for this time. It's been wonderful getting to know you, getting to hear your story. And and I really hope all my listeners go check out all your work because I'm such a big fan and they should be too.
1: Oh, thank you, Jay. This has been such a fun conversation. So you know, I'm all about my relationships. So don't let this be it.
0: I appreciate it. Hey, y'all. It's me, your host, I'm sorry to interrupt what I'm sure is a fantastic episode of the podcast, but I have to give a quick shout out to my partner, Roadrunner CBD. They have been working with me for a while now, and I just love their products. They have everything from tinctures to muscle gels, and all of them are fantastic. You know, I rub the muscle gel on my legs before I run, and they keep me feeling pretty good, which is saying something. So check out Roadrunner today at their website www.roadrunnercbd.com slash ref r e f slash c y s again that's roadrunnercbd.com slash ref slash c y s and use the code c y s at checkout to let them know that I sent you and get 10% off. Trust me you're gonna love this I've sent some of their products to a couple different people and they've all become repeat customers. So check it out today, and don't forget to let them know that Choose Your Struggle sent you. Subscribe to my Patreon for behind-the-scenes looks at the podcast, sneak peeks, and bonus data. You'll also get a discount on Choose Your Struggle merch. Find it at patreon.com chooseyourstruggle. All right, we've come to the end of another episode of the Choose Your Struggle podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to the season finale. I hope you enjoyed this conversation with Dr. Nzinga Harrison. uh, As I said on the way in, you know, she's one of my absolute heroes. I'm such a fan. And I hope you enjoyed this season. Uh, it, it It was pretty special. It was... You know, the season, end of season one was on a very high note, breaking into the Apple Top 200 and, um, you know, having some really incredible guests, obviously amazing. But season two was when this show really hit its stride with the new theme and music and everything from Kid Mental. Shout out to Kid Mental. If you need theme songs, if you need just some incredible beats, hit up Kid Mental. It's when the Patreon, you know, got, got some steam. It's when... I think I started to hit my stride as a host uh, and really figured out what I was doing with this thing. It's when merch became available, and uh, thanks to Ryan, who came on board early in this season, it's, it's when that really took off. It's when we raised over, what was it, 7000 8000 for Savage Sisters over the summer for my birthday. Um, it's been a great season. And I'm so thankful for all of you. Uh please stay tuned. Season three will will kick off in sometime during the winter of 2022. Still crazy to say that. Uh obviously Made It will be dropping uh on its own channel, but I'll put out an episode just to to pique your, your interest on this one in, in uh March or April of twenty twenty-two. Maybe earlier, but probably not. <laughs> Uh, there are other shows joining the network that I've talked about that's going to be coming on the way. Uh, shout out to Ryan for, for his show. And there's another one planned. Keep listening to Corner of the Clubhouse with Kyle Blanks. And, uh, of course, please, please, please leave a review before Thanksgiving to be entered into the Season 2 giveaway. I'll be letting you know on social media if you won, and, and I'll be reaching out if I if I know you personally. Uh, so please, please leave a review; it means a lot. Find that in the show notes or, or on the website. Go to chooseyourstruggle.com uh, for more on me. As always, go to Jshiffman.com. And above all else, before we do the card and the good egg, I want to say thank you to you uh, for 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 listening for for making this show what it is—a show that broke into the. The Apple Top 200 list, in, I think we're at six or seven countries now. Um, it is one of the top. I think it, we're up to five thousand top five thousand English language podcasts in the world. Thank you, thank you. I, I, it, that's you know, that's what I've got. Thank you. I, I, I can't, I can't say that enough. I, I really appreciate it. Thank you. Uh stay connected, please. I want to hear from you. You know, tell me tell me what you liked about this season, what I can do better, what kind of guests you're looking for in season three. I make this show for you, you know. Um and and, and I'm really excited to continue to build this community. It means a lot to me. All right, your card for the last time this season. We're going to use the Rick Hansen card pack, Just One Thing, 52 Practices for More Happiness, Love, and Wisdom. So here it is. See Progress. Wow, that's appropriate. There are always things that are getting worse. You may know someone who has become ill or unemployed or noticed a new disaster somewhere in the world. Perhaps you've experienced loss or heartbreak recently yourself. Real quick pause, he clearly wrote this uh, or made these cards before the last couple years because if you don't know someone who is ill, unemployed, or a new disaster in the world, where are you living and tell me about it because, wow. (laughs) Back to the card. But if you don't recognize what's getting better around you and inside you, you could feel stagnant, disappointed, and unduly alarmed. So it's important to recognize progress. Here's how you do that. On a piece of paper, write down some of what has gotten better. List the ways you move forward today. Maybe it was just cleaning the house or catching up on emails. Consider a longer time frame. What have you overcome in the last year? What have you learned? What goals did you accomplish? Think about your relationships. Which ones have improved and in what ways? Take heart. Zigging and zagging three steps forward and two steps back. Slowly but surely, we can and we will make our world a better place. Rick, if you somehow hear this, thank you. That's a great card. That goes back to something I think I even said last week. Uh how this is this is something that that Alex Kaplan of of Substance, also shout out to Alex Kaplan, who recently <laughs> celebrated 4 years in recovery. Uh this is something he and I talk about a lot. We we do this for each other where one of us will be, "Oh, this is happening. Oh, I don't know how to deal with this." You know, we're, we're in our little entrepreneur round table together and uh the goal the the role that each of us have as as each other's friends and supporters is the look you're going to figure it out remember when this sort of problem would have made you incredibly excited think about how far you've come that's something we do for each other frequently uh big shout out to Alex Kaplan and that's true man the last 2 years have been awful for the world and things aren't looking much better i'm i'm recording this On election night, uh, (laughs) I'm sorry, the day after election night. And, you know, there were some positives and a lot of negatives. That's every election night. Um, Overall, we're not moving in a great direction politically. It's scary. Um, And sometimes the weight of the world can be incredibly heavy, (laughs) But it is important to remember the things we're making progress in ourselves. You know, I, I recognize that as tough as this work is sometimes, it is, you know, pretty amazing what I've built here. Um, and I'm very proud of it. And I'm very thankful for that. So that's going to be your final good egg for this season. And that is to take care of yourself. You know, recognize your wins. Be okay with your struggles. And know that you will find a way, because that's what we do as people. We find ways. Take care of yourself during the offseason. Stick to this, or stay stay subscribed to this stream, because I will be dropping stuff from time to time, uh, just not regularly. And it's going to be a couple weeks for sure. Uh, but there, w- there will be some stuff, fun stuff on this stream before I come back in Season 3. But as always, above all else, most important thing, be vulnerable, show your empathy, spread your love, and choose your struggle.